Within weeks, the film will be cut, finished, mixed, throw it an optical track on the release print, get it onto three quarter inch, bump it down to half inch for multiple sales. What do you think about that? Multiple sales to who? To the buying audience. We're selling 3,000 units. Who's the, who's the buying audience? Bill, man, we're selling 3,000 units at $14.95 each, which is a return of 45 grand. Pay for the damn film, get the three grand back, pay everyone back, take the profits. That'll be the day. That'll be the That'll day. That'll be. And you know what? I'm going to bring over a bottle of wine, man. Do you have a preference? That'll be the day. Red or white wine? Uh, Red or white? Red or white. Mm. Yeah, now you're thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the psychology of it is, but I don't like that people know my shit. And I feel like the more that I like, the more information I'm giving them. So I just sort of refrain from liking and I, I let... You know, the algorithm figure me out in other ways. Who is them? Just the algorithm? Um, uh, other Instagram users, I think. I mean, also the <laughs> algorithm, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just like... The the algorithm, Facebook, Instagram, all of these companies, they can tell what you're looking at based on how fast you're scrolling. Right. Where your cursor is. You know, they can essentially track your eye movements without actually tracking your eye movements. And they have done an effective job of that, by the way. They're very right. good at that. You know? have, you, have you seen those web page heat maps that show where most people are looking at a page at any given time? <laughs> oh, yeah. So they can detect when you start salivating over something. It's, no, not even. <laughs> it's getting. I mean, listen, I can't be the only guy in my 20s that only gets recommended pictures of Margot Robbie on Instagram. OK, I can't be the only guy. Have you ever been on Facebook in like an airport where the internet sucks and an image tries to load, but it doesn't load? So instead, all that loads is words that describe what's in the image. (laughs) Have you ever seen that? I don't think I have. No. (laughs) Okay. So like I'll be on Facebook, an image will load up, but it won't. And it'll say like woman, dog, outside, smiling. Oh, that's (laughs) so creepy. And it's not like (laughs) this is just a photo that some person uploaded. Right. This isn't. Like a something off of the Google or a company uploaded it. This is just like a regular person's post. So they yeah. are doing this automatically right. to everything. And they're putting keywords in there and they're trying to associate certain emotions with certain pictures mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So you not liking a post is not doing jack shit. I just don't want people snooping on my shit because you can see that. You can see someone's like history as well. And I don't want people knowing what I'm looking at. Twitter is the same thing. I, like, if you go on Twitter now, the way that the algorithm works, the recommended not, tweets page works. But nobody cares what you're doing. No, you're nobody not famous cares what enough you're for doing. that to matter yet, Nico. I mean, maybe yeah, you're not. Give, you're give not Ted Cruz liking yeah, I was porn. Say, <laughs> maybe in 20 years, Nico. I'll give you. I'll give you. 20. You should see the kinds of things I'm into. I mean, I just, you know. oh no. <laughs> he doesn't want us to know that he's secretly a huge anime fan. That's oh, what, that's say what, that would be the that's worst. What, that's what it's coming down to. Could you imagine if the House of Cards, like, <laughs> he's been lying to us this whole time? Yeah, if I, <laughs> if I was, you know, a closeted Naruto fan or whatever, and I was just liking, you know. I'll share with you right now some of the videos I've liked on YouTube if you're at all interested. I'm not. It's just random shit, I mean, dude. honestly, it's probably random shit in my case, too. Again, it's all poker hands and Norm MacDonald videos, as I've explained to you. That is my <laughs> algorithm. 
I mean, I got one here from a, sh- a clip from the show Louie, a few Anthony Fantano. Oh, ooh, he, yeah. he, hey, 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 easy. You might get canceled for that in a couple of years. I think mine are all uh, Minecraft videos. Yeah. <laughs> I got a bunch of old Super Bowl commercials, some uh, uh, clips where they dubbed it over with Half-Life sounds, which is really funny. <laughs> Just random shit. <laughs> So the way the way I use YouTube is also vastly different from you guys. And I think most people. Yeah, I, I don't go. I only go to my subscribes page mm-hmm. to see videos uploaded by people I subscribe to. I don't I don't discover new people. I don't discover new content. I don't subscribe to anybody on YouTube. Either. I think yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I do have subscribers. I, I simply I, go just to, to begin my journey through the click hole. That's what I do. I, I treat YouTube the way I'd like other users to treat me if i were uploading ah right yeah fair right fair every every video i watch i like i've also noticed like trends right like any given youtube video if it's like a a halfway decent video content creator will have approximately 10 percent of the viewers will like the video right if they ask for likes sometimes they'll get more uh, if they don't ask, sometimes it'll be a little bit less, but it hovers around that. And the viewership stats, I feel like they shake out a similar way. Like, not every subscriber is watching those videos. In fact, it's sometimes like 20%. Sometimes it's like 80% of, yeah. like, people watching aren't subscribed. Right. Ooh. Right. Which is crazy. Fair. I, I feel like this comes back to my um, love of traditional television. And just flipping through channels mindlessly. I kind of treat YouTube the same way that I treat TV. Yeah. You know, like I in fact, I am more rigid with my TV viewership than I am with my YouTube viewership. And I know for most people, it's the complete opposite. Um, You know, YouTube is the place that you go and you can cut. It is literally YouTube. You customize your Mm -hmm. experience. And uh, no, I I go there to sort of aimlessly flip around and watch things that I've seen a 100 times. Every once in a while, I'm like, uh, what what kind of like like harrowing great white shark videos are there mm. and then then i'll find the one of a guy getting bumped in the head by a great white shark and i'm like oh that's crazy i should <laughs> mention though too i am not your average user so if you're like in silicon valley and you're looking for data i don't know why you would come to this podcast looking for data <laughs> they're gonna attack us <laughs> i don't think they need your opinion to I am collect data <laughs> sure I am not the target demo. That's all I'm saying. I am not what these companies are going for with your average users. I think that's what you want them to believe. What do you watch the most of on YouTube, though? Um, Poker. Poker. Honestly, yeah. Okay, interesting. It's, yeah, it's poker. Right. For me, that is the poker channel. All right. I usually I think my most frequent and think funny enough and it relates to this podcast that we're going to we're going to indulge in is uh, I think I do interviews with filmmakers is probably my most. I, I have a lot com- of that too. Common yeah. thing. Behind the scenes. Behind the footage. scenes. So much. of that. I have a yeah. lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Promotional Rid- stuff. Ridiculous amount. Of that. Inside the actor studio is a big recommended topic mm-hmm. for me. I get those shot at me all the time. I was just doing a postmortem with Mick Garris and his a series of interviews, which are a lot of fun. I was uh, looking up uh, his interviews with like Robert England. Right. And uh, um, William Freakin. That was yeah. really fun. Uh, Siskel and Ebert get yep. pushed to me all the time. Again, I am just a, a guy living in 2023 getting recommended 90s television. That's all. And it's being <laughs> spat out at me by an <laughs> algorithm. Like, little did they know, their algorithm can't compete with TV programmers in 1994 no. <laughs> on PBS. Just spitting out Siskel and Ebert and, uh, and, and poker hands. 
Phil Hellmuth at the 1992 uh, World Series of Poker against Johnny Chan. I feel like you're giving some people jobs, at least. <laughs> That's good. How could you watch old poker hands? I've watched the same poker hands hundreds of times, Nick. I don't get it. Like, you don't understand. Like, sometimes I'll forget, like, how a hand plays out and I'll get surprised. Like, holy shit, what a great read by Dan on the ground. I, I already think it's crazy when people watch old sports clips. I'm like, that happened. Oh, it's I, done. Oh, uh, I do that, too. All the time. I don't get it. Oh, that, yeah. now that. Absolutely. I'll just relive some of the great jet plays of all time. Not many of them, obviously. Yeah, that. But. I guess, I, yeah, I, it's hard for me to fathom that. I mean, I guess I'm not one to talk, given how many times I've seen Jaws, but... <laughs> yeah, you're not one to <laughs> No, talk. but still, but at least it's a whole movie. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll watch Super Bowl halftimes a lot, too. That's another one that I, I watch Half, constantly. Okay. Because that is an area of study for me that's very important. And so I'll watch the Prince uh, halftime show over and over again. I'll yeah. watch the U2 one, you know. One thing I have on you guys is that I don't do anything twice. Not a single yeah. fucking thing. <laughs> I don't do anything twice. Nothing. Any chance Nick? I get, I will go for a new experience. Any chance I get. You've never had a second cookie? A second potato chip? No, here's the thing. Okay, yes, <laughs> I've had a second cookie. But, Adam, if I have the option to try a new cookie or have a cookie that I know I like, I will always go for the new cookie. I see. Well, that is where you and I differ. I, guess, my <laughs> I will always go for the new cookie. Oh I always God. want to try new shit, dude. If I go to a restaurant, I never order the same thing twice if I can help it. The thought, Nick, of you just taking and one fry. That's it. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Shivers. Bet no. you can't have just one. <laughs> no way. It's like, what is he doing? So, yeah, like very few movies will I mm. watch twice. <laughs> TV shows, barely ever. <laughs> I don't go. I don't play video games twice. So when you were growing up, you didn't watch a lot of like syndicated TV with reruns of sitcoms or whatever. You know, in the old days of TV, I did do that more. Mm -hmm. I will say that, but like it was never a choice, right? I didn't. You would always prefer to watch something new. Yeah, yeah. See, for me, like I, <laughs> I'm already in like you like the comfort, Nico. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in like retirement home yeah. mode. You know, where where <laughs> people just watch Matlock 30 times over the same episodes. Like, I like returning to my stories. Yeah. And at this point, like, a new sitcom episode is less appealing than a random season four episode of Seinfeld that I've seen 20 times. God, you're, you're, you're almost, you're not that old, dude. <laughs> no, but I, I'm <laughs> in that mode. I, like, I don't, like, that's how I engage with TV. Obviously, I'm also a, a rabid movie consumer and I'll watch the new thing. I am obsessed with that as well. But to me, that's more like it's it's the experience of like mowing your lawn. Like there's a satisfaction of getting to every little sliver of grass as opposed to, you know, comfort for me is not watching a new movie. It's watching an old one, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of eschew comfort at any given chance as well, though. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. That's fine. The that's, Nick Evangelista experience. That's not necessarily a bad thing either. So. <laughs> I don't like comfort on principle. <laughs> what? On principle? I really don't. Yeah, on principle. <laughs> if I'm not uncomfortable, what am I doing? What the fuck? Like, you right. know. Fair enough. Whereas, and my wife is the exact opposite. She watches the same YouTube video. She's probably given some videos like 90% of their views. Yeah. She'll watch the same videos. She'll never order a new meal. She'll never try something new. The food is a whole different can of worms, by the way. Don't even get me started on that. Well, but. you remember the underground deli over by our college, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I used to go in there, and every single time I ate there, I would pick out of that jar where it would randomly assign a sandwich to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Why? <laughs> I tried every sandwich on their menu purely by picking out of a jar at random. 
That makes no sense. I cannot even fathom that. That is right. That that's insane. There's so much variance, <laughs> man. Like there's that's crazy. Nah, some days I'm getting tuna. Some days I'm getting a BLT. I don't even know what I'm in for. What if you're you like know? allergic to something? Well, I picked. I gotta eat it. Like, I- well, first off, I'm not allergic to anything. I know. Yeah, he's an allergen-free man, <laughs> and it's because I try new experiences, Adam. That's why. But but more specifically, like if you know that there's something on that that sandwich that you hate, like I would throw a sandwich in the trash if it had. Any dollop of mayonnaise on it I will not touch that sandwich There were some sandwiches I didn't like Adam But you know what life has ups and downs (laughs) And we can't always have a good day (laughs) Why are we shying away Why are we shying away From the bad moments Experience them head on That's right Did you ever wonder what you did with your life Make your movie (laughs) Make your movie man (laughs) Listen the stupid sandwich thing I did I looked at it as an allegory For uh, giving up control Mm. Life happens at you, man. Oh yeah, you can't control it. Yep. Hey, I agree with that in 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 part. Not not with everything, but with plenty of things. Sure. Yes. This is a great segue, though, into our movie. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk American movie. This was Adam's selection. It's week three of Documentary Month. The classic. I would say classic, classic. documentary film from 1999, directed by Chris Smith. Uh, it's a movie that. I'll just say is is in my opinion one of the great documentaries ever made and uh, sure one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow, I adore this movie. Um, I watched it years ago in college, um, and it is one of the funniest, but also saddest yeah. and uh, strangely informative and inspirational documentaries ever made it is amazing that this thing is unscripted it is amazing that these people actually exist mm-hmm. um if you didn't know any better you would think it's a mockumentary and that's what's so funny about it a lot of the time it is a half step away from this is spinal tap yeah yeah, yeah. there are moments that are more spinal tap than spinal tap the scarecrow scene is so out of turn it up to 11 mm-hmm. yeah you it's unbelievable get, you just got to put the scarecrow here man it's gonna look like a dilapidated figure we don't know why it's here but i, I like to rally the troops <laughs> just, it's 20 after 3. We've got to get these pages printed. We've got to get them straight to the copier. We've got madmen putting scarecrows up front. God knows why. They have no pragmatic purpose to the show, but I'd like to keep the troops motivated. Uh, idle hands are known to be the devil's workshop, so we want to keep things along, you know? Everything he says is like an idiom or a saying or a word that he kind of knows the meaning of, but misuses. Like... I mean, this guy, Mark Borchard, the camera just loves him. You know, yeah, it does. <laughs> Chris Smith could not have gotten more lucky finding this guy. How did he find this guy? He was a student at the University of Wisconsin. Oh. Chris Smith at the time. He was in the graduate film department. And I guess Mark was hanging out, editing his movies, using the equipment. I and they met. Cool. And he's like, I got to follow you around. You're really interesting. <laughs> and, you know, this was after Chris Smith had already made... His first movie, a movie called American Job, no relation. It's actually a scripted film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made it a, a, when he was, a, a, I think, a student at the University of Iowa. And the movie ends up getting a Sundance release, puts him on the map, gets him into the graduate program at the University of Wisconsin. And um, he starts making this movie with his girlfriend at the time. They finance it, I think, using 29 credit cards. That's they were funny. they went heavily in debt. Like there's well, yeah. the scene in this movie where Mark gets the one credit card in the mail and he starts celebrating. Like yep. he couldn't believe it. Um, they use 29 different credit cards, and it's kind of this art imitating life thing where 
They went into debt just like Mark went into debt on the making of his movie. They had a disastrous premiere at Sundance. I think like halfway through the film reel caught on fire. They had to like stop the movie for hours. There there was like a two hour intermission where they were going and repairing the film. Um, And it's this great story of like the entire packed audience all but two people remained in their seats through the extended intermission. Oh, that's funny. Stayed, finished the movie, gave it a standing ovation at the end, and the movie ends up uh, selling for a million dollars to Sony. Um, so it's, you know, the, the making of this documentary is almost as crazy as the making of Colvin. Colvin. The horror film at the center of American movie. Um, this is the first time you guys watched it. What'd you all think? It's a masterpiece. It's an unbelievable movie. <laughs> it's a fucking masterpiece. It's so That's good. what it is. It's very good. <laughs> it's so good. It's one. I think it's one of the best movies we've done on this show, as a matter of fact. I agree. I love it. I really love it. For obvious reasons. I mean, why wouldn't I love this movie? <laughs> it is very sad, though. And also, it's this weird kind of wave of emotions that you'll feel because it is so funny it's so, so funny such unexpected like idiosyncratic ways um but like you're it's like it'll it's such an awesome handling of tone though because you will jump from like the most hilarious thing you've ever heard to one of the saddest images ever mm-hmm. just with his uncle in the trailer and all mm-hmm. the garbage everywhere yeah but still there's a lot of comedy even then yeah yeah, yeah yeah i yeah, agree yeah. i agree yeah it's yeah. very interesting uncle yeah. bill yeah uncle bill what a character and of course like you you like you already alluded to just how truly informative this is of the experience of what I would actually argue is probably the experience of most filmmakers out there, mm-hmm. honestly. Right. And that's the really interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, the remarkable thing about this movie is how unremarkable the story is. Yeah. You know, and how unremarkable the people at the center of it are. Mm-hmm. You know, they are characters that you feel should be in a movie uh, because they are so real and because you know people like that. You know, maybe you don't sure. know... Yeah. A guy like Mark with quite that much energy and spunk and passion. I mean, he he clearly loves making movies in, in a way that few people do. Um, but you know him, right? You know a guy like Mike, his stoner buddy who, you know, rips off um, Black Sabbath songs or whatever. He, he asked me to come over and help him out. He said he needs some help. I'm always helping him with his with his films. And, and uh, we used to... Uh, do a lot of partying together, but I don't party anymore. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of relevant too. But f- f- bringing up Mike, that we're doing this now because Mike like just died. He just died just a few months died. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of is cancer. So yeah, yeah. It was so sad. I was reading about that. That was almost sadder than everything in the movie too. Yeah, he said like he died in his mom's arms. I was like, oh my god, unbelievable character. In That's this. so upsetting. I love Mike. How do you yeah. not love Mike? Yeah, just everything is monotone, deadpan, you know, <laughs> but like, like sweet as pie. Yeah, he chuckles at the end of every sentence. Yeah. Oh my. God, yeah, his awkward laughing is a little uncomfortable. It's he he I I don't think he's laughing because he's comfortable or happy or thinks anything is funny. I think he's really laughing because he is just uncomfortable existing in his own fucking skin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he has a serious drug problem, um, and he is kind of the comic relief in a movie full of comedic characters. He. He is, um, you know, the, the character on the poster of this, and he became sort of the fan favorite as this movie developed a cult status. Um, you know, the scene, for example, where he's in the basement being like, I just won $50. You look happier than hell, Jack. Yeah, so do you. Well, I ought to be, Dan. <laughs> what do you know that we don't? Well, I won $50 on a lottery ticket today, but I don't want them guys to know 
because otherwise they'll want to borrow money from me. You know, we know people like that. And he also has this layer of real pathos. Mm. When he's telling the scene at the University of Wisconsin about his overdose and dropping acid and the experience of waking up and his mother is standing there and what was going through his mind at the time, the instinct, even in a hospital bed, just to get more high, is harrowing. And he does channel that into the making of the movie and... You know, Mark is kind of the only guy that identifies it. Obviously, it's his best friend, his confidant, and they have a sense of loyalty uh, towards one another. Um, but he he sees this like gentle soul in the in the junkie. You know, he sees that center that makes for great cinema, and he is actually really compelling on screen for that reason. Yeah, he's like the most loyal dog in a, in, a, yeah. in a lot of ways. That's kind of what. You know, Mark was probably most drawn to. If I'm going to make my movies as hard as they're going to be for years and years, I'll always at least have Mike. Right. He's just that kind of person. Yeah, I love that. And I think you always have something like that if you're someone who makes movies. There's always at least one other guy. And, and frankly, you're not going to make many movies if you don't have at least one other dude there to back right. you up. Yes. Despite, even when he, they're looking at your movie, you're like, this ain't going to work. But yeah, yeah, I found this to be uh, kind of two stories. This is both like a like inspiring and kind of a warning film for filmmakers, mm-hmm. right? It's like showing you how the sausage is made and in a way the perils, like the absolute worst case scenario, which is it's just a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the same time, it's so inspiring because Mark is just so freaking tenacious. He does yeah. not quit. He will not quit no matter what. And then the other story at this is is about this community that yeah. just supports him. Right, yeah. For all of these years, even though nobody else shares his dream. In truth, nobody else cares about these movies. They like him. They're doing it for him. They don't they don't love the movie, but they love him. yet like you said, they love him. They like what what he's doing. They like his dream. Right. That's and the they like thing. that he doesn't quit. That's that's a big aspect of it. Like, you know what? I don't get it, but this guy will not quit and that's somebody I'm going to stand behind basically. And they talk in hushed tones. Yeah, uh, we don't really know about this dream of his. Is this movie really going to make its money back? Uncle Bill, who is the primary financier behind this project, the executive producer. It's for the birds. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is for the birds. It's one of Uncle Bill's 100 quotable lines. Oh, my God. Um, Like, no one really believes it. You're right, Nick. No one believes in the project, really. I mean, no one believes that this thing is going to make its money back, but... They are uh, in support of him in a way that is beautiful. Yeah. The yeah. way that this town all shows up for the premiere of this thing and, you know, gives it a, an ovation at the theater. And, uh, you know, the way that his mom goes out and holds the camera in the middle of the woods because his cinematographer couldn't make it. Um, it's It really is a, a beautiful thing. The only people that resent him really are his brothers. And I thought that was interesting. Mm. Honestly, I thought that he was going to grow up to be like a stalker, a serial killer, or or do something where he would try to plan someone's death, you know? And unfortunately, sometimes that idea that it might be mine. Clearly, there is some weird stuff going on with the people that know him best. Um, But yeah, when you meet this guy at a bar or whatever, and he's hanging up flyers of like, you know, casting calls for this movie, how can you say no to this guy? How can you not give him $50,000 of your life savings? Yeah, it's despite the fact that like, there's a lot of scenes of him essentially being a car salesman. He's just so endearing because he completely and utterly believes in it. And I think that was always the key for me. If there was any semblance of like cynicism behind what he was doing, it would be very easy to 
dismiss Mark, but that's not the case at all. This is just a guy who always loved movies, always wanted to make them. And it was funny when he was talking about his inspirations, I was kind of half expecting his answers to be somewhat hacky, but he gave to me anyway, pretty yeah, it's like seven seal. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty like that movie. It's like, you're, you're, you're referencing Bergman. What the fuck? It was, <laughs> it was very interesting. And he gave like pretty well reasoned responses as to like what he's interested in. Yeah. He's talking about Romero zombie movies and how it shows the decay of civilization. But it was the fact that every movie he cited, he liked them for very different reasons. Yes. Even when he brought up uh, Texas Chainsaw, it's like, it was just kind of one of those wonderful, happy accidents that's also just an amazing movie. Right. And it's like, huh, okay. Sure. You're not full of shit. No, he's not full of shit. It's just that his talent can't quite meet his aspirations. And that is a a theme that we've covered a lot on the show. We've done documentaries (laughs) like this before, and we've covered many movies made by people like this before. Well, Um, my question is, how is his talent, actually? I have not seen Coven. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Nico and I both watched Coven. We had to. Uh, It's available on YouTube. I recommend it. It's 35 minutes. Coven. Not pronounced Coven. It, it is co- it's god god damn it people it's coven it's coven there it is, is a coven. scene in this documentary you chose adam that expressly says it is not it's pronounced coven man what else could it be pronounced uh coven uh, that's the proper pronunciation no 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 coven, no, no. No, 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 no 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 coven sounds like oven man and that's just it doesn't work unless you want to put an umlaut or something over the o a what you mean <laughs> yeah. those oh hold on a second those two dots yes possible Another great character, by the way. One of my favorite characters. But like well-trained thespian that's <laughs> yeah. still hanging out in Milwaukee all these years later. He's just being like, dude, no, it's Coven. This is Coven if you want to And he speaks it with kind of a British accent, yeah, yeah. although he's probably never even been to England, right. you know? It's so funny. I mean, if you want to pronounce it incorrectly, sure. Right. So I love how Mark stops him. He's like, wait, an umlaut? You mean the two dots? <laughs> he just go, go, go all the time. The thing about Mark is he is very much uh, wrong place, wrong time. There are many people who are successful in Hollywood because right place, right time, right? I think that Mark, if he was born in Oakland, Mm. you know, maybe this guy would have really made it. Possibly. Right. I think he has some spark. Well, he does. He does. He's a he is. There's something magnetic about him. I don't know what it. I mean, there's a lot of things I guess I can point to, but even then, there is some. I mean, he's just a joy. Just some, I mean, yeah. you see the movie, you know what it is. He is incredible to watch. Yes. He's a great on-screen presence. Well, well, this this is what I was going to get to. There is something very powerful about him, just as a figure, and he has had somewhat of a career as an actor. Yes. He's not he's not completely, you know, out of the industry, I guess. I, I guess you could say no, I mean, the, the great thing about this movie is that it becomes a cult sensation, yes. not Coven, but the documentary American movie. And he gets a role in Family Guy yep. as a result of this. Um, he had worked on a number of other independent projects and yep. he's now known kind of as an actor. I think he lives in L.A. or whatever and still mm-hmm. does his thing. Um, but yeah, like it, it is it's it is a movie that I think at the time. It was killed for being sort of mocking and and leering at these characters, but um, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's incredibly a loving portrait, and it worked out well for everybody. You know? I just thought it was honest. I mean, I mean, you could say it's 
you were laughing at them at times, but some of what they're doing is just objectively funny. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who just stumbles upon the scene they're directing is probably going to laugh at what's going on, but then it digs a little deeper. The comedy is really only the surface. There's always so much more going on beneath what <laughs> a shot that he is doing in the back of his car, which is simultaneously like the saddest thing I've I've right, ever by seen. Himself. And oh, also, when his mom comes out oh with the God. disposable camera to it, take a picture. Mm-hmm. And also just so true to like the filmmaking experience. Sometimes I'm, like, I'm just going to get this shot and that's the movie right yeah yeah uh nick what'd you think about the movie Coven? uh i think it was very good very fun it's it's a bit of a disjointed mess uh the actors are not very good no but honestly uh for a short film made on essentially a budget of zero it's not bad at all the guy kind of has an eye for shots yeah there, there are actually some interesting shots in there, and there's there's a kind of like Lynchian absurdism. Mm-hmm. I, when you see the shot of Uncle Bill, and you see this in American Movie at the end, they they show like snippets of yep. Coven. Um, but the shot of Uncle Bill in the pickup truck saying the one line in the movie, it's all right, it's okay. Uh, what is it? Jesus, the, told, Jesus told me told so. Me. There's oh, something to live for. There's something right. to live for. <laughs> As his dentures are falling out <laughs> in take 31. It's all right. Uh... Okay, cut. All right, man. Shit. It's you gotta give it some passion too, man. And you gotta. It's all right. It's okay. There's something to live for. Oh. Jesus told me so. <laughs> it's all right. Um, there's something to live for. Jesus told me so. Okay, great, Bill. But we gotta. We have to have fluidity in there. It's all right. It's okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Cut. You got to bring oh, passion to it. A message. It's a message. This it's, is the, for the shits and for the birds. That's that seems so. Funny. There is kind of a Lynchian yeah. vibe to it. I, I thought actually the 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 well trained actor whose name I'm blanking on, but the character that we were just referring to, kind of had like a one arm man vibe from. I thought okay, that's what I was like. Twin Peaks. Yeah. I know this character. Where that's exactly what I was thinking of. You're right. Yeah. There, there's no, kind of he's, that he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And there are shots that are decent. Yeah, and j- just the sort of plot of it, I guess, is you know basically it's a guy with a drinking problem going to like AA meetings but the people at the AA meeting are actually like feeding him some sort of strange like I don't know poison or something they're putting something in in his drinks and he stops drinking them and they're trying to force him to drink it and you know this person's like they're trying to pry open his mouth and pour the drink in and the the cup spills and like what looks like blood comes out it's all in black and white, and it's just you could just see how thick the liquid is. It's just I don't know, man. There's some good shots. It looks really good. There's some good shots. I I unlike Breen, Neil Breen, who we talk about once a year on this show. I thought about Breen as well. And when was I was so this. Tommy was so obviously has to be another name that you that you think about. Um, yeah, it feels like this guy has not only seen a lot of movies, but he's actually thought about composition and things like mm-hmm. that. He talks and, about it in the movie. Yeah. And, and certainly towards the beginning when he's like, check it out, man. We're going to shoot it on beautiful black and white 16 millimeter film. <laughs> what's, the, what's the line? We, we have every F-stop known to man Oh my God, I, was, I laughed so hard. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, How many F-stops I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> 
You shouldn't need every upstop known to man, bro. It's the fucking <laughs> it's the best. funniest thing. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, and the movie kind it's, of. And I'm talking about Colvin now. It's about <laughs> yeah, as you said, Nick. It's said it's an AA group. Mark is a is an alcoholic degenerate that ends up in AA, and the AA t- they turn out to be like these Satan worshiping occult members, right? Right. Uh, and it's kind of this commentary on codependency and sort of the toxicity of you know people that purport to know all the answers yeah i I think the the closing line of the movie after he kills two of the members of the cult with her dying breath one of the members ends up saying um we just wanted what's best for you we were just trying to help you and this idea that everyone that's trying to help him that that's just noise to him he views them as you know toxic yeah, predatory and they literally as witches. And that's the interesting thing about that. Just by listening to it, I'm like, oh, he's drawing a lot on personal experience. Clearly, right. everybody that has yeah. counted me out, that has said to give up on my dreams, right? Like, right, he is lashing back. And it's also this very uh, subtle rumination on his own alcoholism, mm. in the same way that American Movie is uh, kind of about that in in a way. You know, they don't really harp on it too much. It's mentioned in passing. And there's one scene when they're watching the Packers lose in the Super Bowl (laughs) where he goes on a real bender and he's kind of belligerent. And his father peeks out from around the corner is like, well, I will not have this kind of talk in this room. Um, But for the most part, it's kind of this unspoken thing, how drugs and alcohol have destroyed this community and kept them here. You know, hard to make movies in a, you know, drug fueled community. Yes. Doesn't really work. Hard to do anything, really. Yeah. Hard to do anything other than do more drugs. Pretty easy to do drugs in the drug filled community. Why don't you tell us that, Scorsese? God damn it. Yeah. Uh, but Colvin. Yeah. Colvin. It, it's okay. It's yeah. all right. It's, it's a short film. You know? Yeah. No, like, I, I think that, like, if your expectations are properly set, which this movie will properly set them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, think, I think it's genuinely better than anything Breen has ever made. Uh, so let's talk about some of the, the major players here <laughs> on, uh, on screen. Obviously, we talked about Mark and Mike, who are our two leads. Uncle Bill. You love Uncle Bill. God. How do you not? I just love angry, old, disgusting people, Nico. Yeah, so Bill is, I, I guess, a former professor, like a really like educated guy who, I guess, lost his wife several years earlier and is kind of on his... His last legs, you know, he, he, the sun is setting for Uncle Bill and he knows it. He lives in a trailer park and he's uh, just gripping on to this money that he's saved. I believe he says $280,000 is the exact amount. And he's trying to just milk it until he dies. And Mark, his nephew, comes in and tries prying it away from him so he can make his movies. And uh, the dynamic that the two have on screen is incredible. Wonderful. I, I- I do want to say I don't get the impression that, like, Mark is being predatory. No, he's not a huckster. It's really not. He First off, Mark truly, truly believes in his project and truly, truly believes he will pay him back. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, there is absolutely no doubt in his mind. It is purely, you have money, I need money. Um I want you to be a part of this project. He he shows him the storyboards every day. He he has his grandfather sign off on every expense. When they go to the bank and he's like, oh, sounds okay to me. <laughs> yeah. God, I'd love to, I love, I wish they had just talked to that woman just for a second. Like, what do you think of all of this? 
<laughs> right. Is this a good deal? Is this smart? <laughs> like, I don't feel good in my job right now. But, oh um, God. and yeah, he doesn't give a shit about the movies or this project. He thinks his grandson is throwing away his money and his life. But the really, there is a really sweet aspect. He's a grumpy old man. He's like, oh, I don't want to be in your movie, whatever. But when he dies, he left $50,000 for his grandson to finish the movie. Nephew. Or nephew. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Nephew. Uh, so he, he cares about him, you know? There is not, there really is nothing better than two characters where it's like one, they, it's like they're, they're annoyed by each other, but they love each other. That combination never doesn't work. Yeah. Honestly. Right. It is perfect. <laughs> There's a scene in this movie where Mark gives Bill a bath. That's a wicked ass toenail, dude. Whoa! That toenail's more than a quarter inch thick. I know. That's a science photo. Science photo? Yeah, they could use that in science class. Science class? Alright, Bill, I think you're done here. No, you gotta do my back part. Yeah! Um, get some drunk on schnapps, peppermint schnapps, on, on Thanksgiving, and the two of them are hanging out, and he just sort of leaves them in the tub with the schnapps. He's he's hammered. I think he has a massive headache. It appears yeah. that he has a massive headache. No, but that's a perfect Like, if you had any doubts about, like, Mark's character as the movie's going on, like, that should put all of those thoughts to rest. They do right love there. each other. Yeah, they genuinely love each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the way Mark talks to his uncle. Because he's always like, what are you thinking about? You think about what you did with your life or what you didn't do? He's like, <laughs> it's just again, like, it's <laughs> like shit like that. But he's always like, man, you got to live to your you got to stand up tall in your final days. When you go out, when you're when you're six feet underground, what do you want to be? Thi- what do you want people to think about you? Like when you're in that casket, like, <laughs> right? It's like you're just saying this to this guy, this poor guy. I'd be so annoyed. <laughs> but he's <laughs> no, but you know what, though? I think that. I, I don't have a way to prove this. There's nothing in his mannerisms or his words, Bill's words, that say this. But I get the impression that he kept Mark around because having someone talk to him like that was probably refreshing. I think so. I think that's I think Mark kept right. him kept his life interesting. Yep. That's all he had left. And yeah, I think he saw some sort of inspiration. And that's why he left him the $50,000. It's like... Right. You know, and I think even uh, his girlfriend, Judy, Mark's girlfriend, Judy, at one point says, like, if he does 25 percent of what he sets out to accomplish in life, he will have accomplished more than the vast majority of people. And just by making this stupid little movie, he has accomplished more than most aspiring artists. Right. And I think his uncle feels a similar way of like. You know, I didn't really do much with my life, and now I'm sort of sitting here, and the sun is setting, and there's there's not much more I can do with my legacy. But, you know, if he just gets this thing done, never mind making its money back, never mind getting a wide release, never mind winning an Oscar or whatever, just get this thing done, I, I will have done something with my life, 100%. Yep. Um, and yeah, no, I, Bill is a lot more into the project than he lets on. Oh, and yeah. sometimes he's just, you know, a... Um, an old man in a sort of a fugue state, you know. Sometimes he literally doesn't know what's going on. No. But um, yeah, he 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 loves his his nephew certainly. Um, some of the best scenes in the movie, I think. Yeah, when he's like uh, when he <laughs> he says the word cinema, I see great cinema in this. Cinema. 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 Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I see great cinema. Yeah. Oh, that's good. 
There's something quitting anyhow. But I don't know what it is. You can't make it up. No. You really can't make up characters. Like no, but yes, it's I can, so real. That's the thing. Again, I I'm always fascinated by these documentaries, and we talk about it every time one of these comes up. But like the luck that this that Chris Smith has to just stumble upon these people, because there's really no guarantee that they're going to be that interesting, or no. that they would even. Uh, invite a documentary like this to happen. There's a lot of people that would just be like, no, fuck off, don't right. film us. But God, the openness <laughs> that he's allowed is just really wonderful. I, I it, yeah. God, they really do feel like mockumentary characters, but they're real. It's so funny. No, yeah. they're more real than real. Yes. They're more real than reality somehow. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. And it, it yes, Christmas still does a fantastic job cutting at the right moments. Like there are some cuts in this that are brilliant, hilarious. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, when he you know cross cuts between you know his girlfriend talking about the relationship and him talking about the relationship, mm-hmm. and then showing the one shot of his ex wife or whatever or his his children's mother yeah. in the driveway and they're getting in a fight. Like it it juggles tones in a way that is so rare in documentary filmmaking inspiring yeah yeah cuz yeah. i i look at that i'm like i don't know how you how the hell you did that but right geez. and obviously you need the characters you on screen you do but the way that this thing cuts together like it's scripted and people have accused it of being scripted mm-hmm. and it's like well it's not but it maybe by virtue of the fact that you have put a camera in the room with people that want to be on camera you are augmenting reality a bit, um, always to a de- to a to a degree, but um, not that much though. Yeah, I get the impression that he filmed a lot. Oh, well, you always do, right? If you're in documentary, you you always film right like, significantly more. Yeah, you're gonna get what you need to tell the story you need to tell if you're willing to be patient and yes. film enough. And this is the other thing to remember about a situation like this where you have a documentarian that's so intimate with the subjects is that they're they're with them for so long that if it's me anyway, I would imagine just getting used to the camera, not really even caring and not bothering to even put on any sort of performance. Right. So if you start out, I'm sure I'm sure the earliest footage probably is very performative, but as, you know, a couple of years go go by, it's just like, eh, what's up, Chris?" Well, yeah, I, actually, as the movie goes on, it becomes more cinema verite. I feel yeah. Like. You know, it, in the initial moments, um, you know, when Mark is pitching the movie to like a boardroom yep. of potential <laughs> so- uh, collaborators. I'm going to tell you why films fail. And I'm going to tell you why films succeed. And I'm going to tell you about this one right here, Northwestern, a regular feature film shot on black and white negative. It's going to look beautiful. You are going to be among the company of filmmakers this time, but you're going to have something under your belt, man, besides, like, uh, uh, whatever the hell you throw in the wash. And he's, like, literally given, like, the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross speech. You know, he's like, you got to make something of your life, and you got to take chances. And I'm like, <laughs> so, but what's the movie about? <laughs> it takes brass balls to make independent films, you know? But what's the movie about, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> that, to me, is definitely very performed. Or, like, yep, the yep. scene where he's writing the script... To his new movie oh on God. the set of the old movie. <laughs> like, he's always looking ahead. He's always like, you know, Northwestern, that's my opus, right? Like, yep. this. Mark <laughs> has some leadership qualities, though, that are very evident. The way he talks to other people, he is constantly trying to inspire mm-hmm. everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Every, everything he says is a motivational speech. Almost everything. Yes. Yeah. Which is very interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and like again sometimes 
he uses words that he doesn't know the meaning of or he'll use like a turn of phrase slightly incorrect you know at one point he has to explain the meaning of the word cathartic to mike he does a fine which he job. begins with i think it means i think it means <laughs> so again like sometimes he gets a little ahead of him it feels like maybe he had read a couple books about leadership you know qualities <laughs> You know, maybe like he he like read Bill Gates's biography once and was like, <laughs> all right, this is how I lead. You know, so but that that's the entire movie. It's like a person that generally knows how to perform the role of a director mm-hmm. without actually being a good director, you know, in the traditional yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of people in this movie, you know, like the actor for example, or the casting director who is like making phone calls while he's laying in bed. Yeah. Do you want to learn about the movie? Uh, all of these people generally know the script that they're supposed to follow, but just don't know exactly how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're making a mockery of my dialogue. That was a, <laughs> now see, that was a great cut. They get like two two different sets of readers, and then all of a sudden he's got his arms crossed, and it's like, yeah, they're making a mockery of my script. <laughs> I'm going to get in there, show them how it's done. I think these people are reading the script perfectly fine for amateur actors, (laughs) and he's just furious. (laughs) Like, I think they're putting in ten times more effort than I would expect out of a random group of people in Milwaukee or whatever. Oh my god, yeah. And he's just so furious that they're not doing it right. He is also (laughs) committed to getting the right take. Yep. You know, he repeats with Uncle Bill doing the ADR in the car. <laughs> it, the scene where he slams the guy's head into the cabinet. That is one of the funniest things in the entire it's movie. So it's, great. Just it's so great. It's so great. Oh, man, I'm sorry I was trying to ram your head through this thing. It's going to take some doing. <laughs> it wasn't, like, properly rigged. And the guy gets up. There might as well be, like, birds circling his head like the Looney Tunes. Like, he's like, do we really have to do that again? And they all want to please him. That's the thing. Everybody on set yeah. wants to do right by him. And he is being Kubrickian in, in a way by, like, insisting that they get the take right. You know? Adam, I will say, in Coven. Yes. Shot looks pretty good. It's a good shot. It's pretty good. Pretty good shot. My understanding, yeah. They, they, my understanding um, is that they they used the 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 accident of it not going all the way through for so there's a few bashes mm-hmm. with the head, you know, to make, to sell it even more. Funny enough, so that he used what he got in a pretty you know innovative way. I guess yes. you could say, yeah. Uh, at one point, he makes his mom film the uh scene in the kitchen and she's like asking him what the frame is in the oh, lens God, of the camera yeah, that was great. and he's like yelling at her is like we burning film here <laughs> oh no i see there's a frame there yeah oh no what are you talking about ma yeah this no okay just never mind man it's just okay no, wait, I, we got it, we got the, the camera's rolling sound is rolling is yeah, that am I, just, I, I see a frame inside here yeah that's the tv frame that's the frame we're trying to oh no then you should be high you're much higher up though. Your face is, you're, you're more above you. Where am I at now, Ma, with all of this film burning? And she's this, like, lovely Swedish woman who, again, is just so supportive of her son's dreams. And But I've seen the shot. It's just like a quick little cutaway. Like, he just goes past the camera. It's, a, it's like a one-second shot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's literally, like, I saw the shot in the movie. Yeah. And it is like literally one second. It is. <laughs> and, and it turned into this five minute argument or whatever with his mom. He's yelling at her. She's not sure what's going on. She doesn't know how to use she a camera. She doesn't know if the camera's on or not. Doesn't at one point she say, man, 
This is really uncomfortable. Why do people sit like this? Oh, <laughs> Why do people do this? Oh, God. That's the other thing. Everyone else in this movie, including his children, come to the realization that filmmaking is fucking hard. Yeah. Like, they ask his kids, do you yeah. guys want to be filmmakers when, when you grow up? And they say candidly, like... No, it's expensive. It takes forever to do. Why would we want to be filmmakers? <laughs> the, the crazy part is like, as a kid at their age, there's no way I knew what expensive even meant. Right, I had right. no frame of reference. So is a dollar expensive? I don't know. I'm a kid. I don't have, I don't work. That's sure. all their dad thinks about. <laughs> That's all he's going to be talking about. He knows to the dollar exactly what he owes everyone. Yep. And he's able to recite it. Like, this is how much debt I am in. And I have no idea how I'm going to climb out of this hole. And the scene too, where he's got the whiteboard and he does all of the math. <laughs> I've got to make money back on Coven. So when I did these figures, 500, 1,000, 2,000, and 3,000 units, right? I said, check this out. Fuck this, man. It's, I'm sorry for erasing that, but it's 3,000 units for 45 grand. Because if I don't get that 45 grand, man, I will not be shit. He just erases the whole whiteboard. Yeah, and sorry, I erased all that, that was shit. the funniest shit. <laughs> oh, fuck, I didn't mean to erase that. <laughs> In a fit of rage, he's like, fuck this. Fuck all that. <laughs> I'm not selling 20 copies. I'm not selling 50. Like, I'm selling 3,000 or else I'm not making this money back ever. I was in just just utter jubilation every time he just had a, like a, a random jolt of aggression, like talking about anything, like where he's talking about the uh, two seconds of film that was missing. Right. Not even, to, it was like two seconds of film and he had like... <laughs> Like, I think it was 12 frames or something missing. He's like, you got this side here and you got that side there. Nothing here. What the What fuck? happens in the middle? People want to know what <laughs> happens People want to know the what middle. the fuck happened from here to here, man. <laughs> uh, oh, it's so good. Oh, I, I also saw an IMDb. I have no idea if this is verifiable. They don't really fact check these things. But apparently he uses the word man 151 times. <laughs> In the movie. Yeah, that sounds right. It's kind of like, you know, when Scorsese broke <laughs> oh, the fuck God. record in Casino, you know? It's like, how many times is this guy going to say man? Uh, he's from Wisconsin. Everybody's man and dude. Where is he from? Is it? <laughs> it is Wisconsin. It is Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. These people, it, it feels very much like uh, like the cast of that 70s show at times. Mm. Doesn't it? No, it feels like a sitcom. It does. It does, yeah. Have you, have you watched that 90s show yet, Nick? Oh, God. I did. <laughs> Oh no! And it's okay. 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 If you like sitcoms, it's okay. Mm. Okay. It's cool. Interesting. Um, uh, you know there is, uh, yeah, there there are a number of other again actors. I was unable to find any of them on IMDb in a meaningful capacity. I don't know. If any of them went on to bigger and better things, they probably just continued to bum around in local theater productions um, or just got into another line of work altogether. Sure. Um, but Mark and Mike, you know, for a number of years were cult figures. Mike, I think in the original theatrical run of this movie, put his phone number at the end of the credits so people could just call him. Mm. So... And it would actually work. Like, you would call the number and you could just talk to him. And he would talk to you for, like, a couple minutes. Okay. Um, Why? Dude, imagine if, like, any other director did that. Scorsese or something. Oh, my God. Tarantino. I have a couple notes. Yeah. 
<laughs> who would do that? Maybe John Waters would do it, who I sort of thought of when I saw some of this footage, but yeah, it's yeah. It's Waters-ish. Like I'm thinking like, like, you know, there, there's some multiple maniacs in there. Like, this guy could make a movie. John Waters has made legitimate movies, so. Right. Yeah, if you yeah. give him enough of a budget, sure. Yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, Chris Smith goes on to become one of Netflix's big documentary players. He did the movie Senior last year. Uh, he did 100 Foot Wave. Jim and Andy, the Fire Fest documentary. He he's still working and is still a very prolific uh, documentary filmmaker. I think he produced Tiger King. Really, he was one of the executive producers on Tiger King. Oh, so he kind of uh, has his shtick in a way. He's got a shtick. Yeah. Uh, he's a real steady hand behind the camera, and I think all of his movies have that kind of offbeat, you know, comedic bend. Mm. Where and they also happen to mostly be about middle America people, about like just average blue collar people aspiring for more and they're like very specific idiosyncrasies and quirks now i think in something like tiger king that borders on i don't know is it, is it exploitative i guess yes tiger abso- king? yes absolutely tiger king is exploitative yeah you know i don't know i feel like all i i haven't seen tiger king so i can't specifically say but i feel like those are characters begging to be exploited Sure. I don't think there's any shame in exploiting those characters, to be to be perfectly honest. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and Carol Baskin was more than happy to go on Dancing with the Stars when ABC called. So to a degree, they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, to a degree. Uh, but no, this movie, I I do have to quibble with some of the critics at the time. It is a very like delicate portrait of this community and of the people that make these movies. It is sympathetic towards them. I I did feel like. Watching it this I, I it's been like 10 years. It's been like 10, 11 years since I first saw it. I, I was laughing less. I was still laughing a lot just because Mark is an incredible character, an incredible narrator. But I found myself more sad for him, you know, and more sad for this small community and sad for their circumstances. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's got a lot of that in there, too. You know, never in a way that um, that lessens the comedic impact, though. It is still very funny in a dark way. Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't say I was laughing out loud through the entirety of the movie. I think the sad, the, again, it is a f- amazing juggling act of the very, very, very sad and the really hilarious. And I was, you know, it's like every other scene I was laughing really hard and then the, the next one I was about to cry. So yeah, I agree. It's not like a constant, like, like zinger of a movie, you know? I don't know what I would have thought of it had I seen it in college, maybe. I'm surprised I didn't see it in college. That was the other thing, because mm. it seemed like something a couple of my professors would have really had wanted us to see. And yeah, we never never got around to it. I'm we kinda... had a film class. I think all three of us took it at one point. Maybe not Nick. The professor screened a movie called My Date with Drew. Oh. Did you ever take that course? Yeah. Yeah. And you watched that movie, right? Uh, Yes. Right. My Date with Drew is this camcorder movie Famously, that was shot on on a camcorder bought from Best Buy and returned 30 days later within their <laughs> return policy. And it's about this guy trying to score a date with Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. And he ends up succeeding at this mission of getting closer to Drew Barrymore. Um, and, you know, it's a movie that's like a good 20 minute short that is extended far too long. It's cute. This is a much better version of of. Um, of my date with Drew, in my opinion, this should have been screened in that film class. I, I like my date with Drew, but you know, this is like astronomically better yeah. <laughs> in every way. Like that's just a. They probably didn't 
want to scare you guys away from making movies. That was the idea. The idea was like, look, he did it. You can do it, too, with very limited resources. Uh, what else? Any other notable moments, characters, ideas? There was something really funny about when they were when they were filming the scene where he's ramming his head through or people are just screaming. It was one of these scenes where there's just lots of screaming and noise going on behind. They do cut to his friend Mike, who's just sitting outside listening to music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's just something really funny about chaos going on behind and Mike not giving a shit. <laughs> but but you do see Mike end up letting out one of those screams. Ready, Mike? When I say take one, give it a couple seconds. Take one. That was wicked, man. And it's a good scream. It's an amazing scream. Cathartic. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's an amazing scream. And that's one of those things where it's like, there is something in this guy. Yep. There is something deep-seated. There is an aggression and pain within this guy that Mark is able to tap into through the filmmaking process that no one is able to get out of him. Not even the filmmakers of American Movie are able to get underneath the surface of this guy. Well, I think a lot of what that comes down to with it when getting getting two actors, as they say, is just like them trusting you. It's very clear that Mike has absolute trust in, in whatever Mark's doing. Mm-hmm. Other because yeah, and otherwise I don't think there was. A, any sort of possibility that he could have done that because it is actually kind of scary when he does it. Yeah, it, it does make you go like, "Whoa!" Right. Like, like I don't know this person all of a sudden. So yeah, yeah. There's that line too where he's like, uh, he goes, "In gambling, sometimes you win, but with drugs and alcohol, you always lose." <laughs> yeah, and there is, you know, it's a it's a funny line, and he landed the joke. But if you know something about his character, if you've been paying attention to this entire movie. There's a real pain underneath that. And when he's telling the story in the hospital about the acid overdose, again, that's a, you know, there, there is something underneath the surface here that is not quite right. And there's a lot of pain in these people. And that was the thing that really stuck out to me in the rewatch this time is, is how pained these people really were. Like how Mark was struggling to be a good father. He clearly wanted to be a father. He has a lot of affection towards his kids. Oh yeah. But he's also in pursuit of this greater thing and he doesn't know exactly the right way to do it. You know, and uh, the way that everyone in this movie is just figuring it out. Like, I found that as inspirational as the making of the movie to begin with, you know. Yeah. The, uh, there's also on a separate note here, his um, his father, when he's st- when Mark is talking about thinking about giving up, he goes, you know, there are times where uh, my father, my father, when I first told him I wanted to make movies, he thought it was stupid. He wanted me to, you know, just work a normal job and make money. And now that I'm making the movie, sometimes I think about quitting and going to get a normal job and my dad won't let me he says no right. you have to finish the movie <laughs> yeah how lucky in a mm. way like you could say how unlucky is he that he was born in milwaukee in this situation in this environment but also how lucky to yes. be born in this community exactly right yeah yeah it's it's this weird catch-22 right exactly right it's like if you're if you were born in santa monica you would have not been sur- you would have been surrounded by professionals that maybe could have helped you in a sort of tit-for-tat situation you know, um, but right. You would not have had a group of people that are just showing you unconditional love and support at every turn. Yep. And it's also weird because you mentioned 
the tone of Coven is that he feels like everybody he's trying to help him is predatory. The reality is, if he was born in Santa Monica, every person that would have tried to help him would have actually been predatory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. They would have kicked him out too. Is is the Hollywood right. system? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, would have chewed him up and spit him out. Certainly. Right. Uh, and they, you know, they do end up accepting him, but only after he performs this this sort of inspirational arc. Yep. Right. Only after he goes through this and he becomes useful to the Hollywood machine is he accepted. It's kind of you know, but really all of the acceptance was right there in Wisconsin the entire time. And he created something that is great separate and apart from anything that, you know, Sony Pictures Classics could have offered him, you know? Well, they forget, too. I mean, they as much as they want the success of being in Hollywood, like in this case, like Mark's personal story is much better than him just being in Hollywood and making movies. Yeah, a lot better. Right. Yeah. And it's the other thing, too, of like, you know, if people are laughing at you and you don't blink and you just stare at them long enough and continue to be yeah. you, mm-hmm. eventually they stop laughing mm-hmm. and you win. And that's what this guy does. It's like he's 30 years old. He's been through it. He's like, this is my chance. I've been making movies since I was 14. Um, and I'm 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 not giving up. And eventually everyone comes around. His father comes around, you know, and ends up being his greatest advocate. Mm hmm. Uh, by the way, I did want to mention briefly some of the movies that he made as a kid, some of the short horror films. Uh, are they available? No, they oh, are yeah. not. But the names of them. Oh, really? The more, the scarier three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what an incredible name for a movie. There better have been two previous more, the scariers. There were. They, they, okay. they spent a lot of time on the more, the scarier three. <laughs> Could though. you imagine you start your first film, the more, the scarier three? <laughs> Uh, that's ballsy that is a that's bold right there yeah, i respect like, it history of the world part one <laughs> that's a great gag. by the way they finally made a part two did you see that what <laughs> nico's kidding i'm not kidding it exists where yeah, right i'm not i'm fine it's a hulu miniseries it came out last week or something i'm not joking elaine oh my god it came out hmm and I just thought, man, what a sad state of affairs. It's like Mel Brooks is working again. He's doing Mr. Uh, History of the World Part 2. And it's a miniseries. It's a fucking show. Let's see how good your knowledge is. When did History of the World Part 1 come out? How many like, years ago? Like 82 or something? 81. Yeah, 81. 42 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're making Part 2 now? Oh, they did. What the they hell? They did. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, my God. What in the? It exists now, and it's not a movie. It, it pissed me off. What the fuck? It's like you wait all this time. You hold it like it becomes the joke at, at a certain point that there is no part two. Oh, wow. I thought you were kidding. No. That's very weird. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. I really like the first movie. Uh, yeah, first movie's great. Yeah, what the fuck? Oh, Nick Kroll's in it, huh? Everyone's in it. Nick oh, Wanda Sykes. Everyone's in it. Every sketch actor is oh. in it. If Nick Kroll's in it, I don't want to watch it. How dare you? If Nick Kroll's in it, I don't want to watch it. Why are you anti-Kroll? Who's not? Why Why wouldn't I be anti-Kroll? You know what I love about Nick Kroll? What? He's not funny, he's not talented, and he looks like a rat. Yep. And somehow, this guy has made it. He's done, you know, he's inspiring. I don't think he's not funny. He made it. He was born from like a billionaire family. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> against all odds? <laughs> against all odds, yeah. Way to go, well, I guess Nick the money Kroll. will do it. Yeah. I guess the money will do it. Fuck off. His father Nick is Kroll. a billionaire businessman. Yeah. Who yeah. founded the corporate investigations and risk consulting firm Kroll, Inc. 
Yeah, they go to hell, Nick Kroll. <laughs> okay. Well, that takes the, the wind out of my sails, Adam. But he does play in History of the World Part 2, Schmuck Mudman. <laughs> oh, so high point in his career. He he is so um, grossly miscast in Don't Worry, Darling. I mean, as is most of the cast in Don't Worry, Darling. I haven't seen it yet. It's not a good movie. God, I have to see that movie, though. Um, but, like, he, would you like that movie? I think I would. Would you like that From movie? what I've, I've gathered from stray comments on Twitter or whatever, it feels like it's kind of my thing. You go against the grain, I think. It's not a good movie. Mm. It's not a good movie. And he, I don't know what the hell he's doing in the movie. It is so stupid. And the big twist is so stupid. As you know, though, I am less sensitive to stupid sci-fi than the average bear you love stupid sci-fi mm. you love- kind of do i embrace it i know it's very weird we by the way so on the topic of stupid sci-fi we need to do a blomkamp pod we certainly do <laughs> hell yeah we do her blomkamp month by the way yeah is yeah. he coming out with anything new anytime soon I, I, he's he's done he's kicked out he's kicked out he's kicked out never making a movie i don't know he made demonic and that didn't go over so well so no that just completely arrived with a thud <laughs> i still need to see it uh do you like elysium nick i don't think i've seen elysium who's the one oh you let you just like district nine right hate district nine okay yeah you yeah. want to hear this that's right that's right yeah he's currently in production post-production i should i should say the movie is coming out august 11th of this year on a movie adaptation of the video game gran turismo Starring David Harbour and Orlando Bloom. That sounds wow. awful. So we will do the Blomkamp podcast this August. <sighs> that sounds so bad. Get ready. That does sound bad. That sounds so bad. Also, it's not like a story-driven game. No. I'm pretty sure it's a car game. It's a racing game. If I'm correct. Yeah. It's so just a racing, a racing game. game. Yeah. So what is this going to be like Ford v. Ferrari, but bad? Like, what's the plan? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> They made that Need for Speed movie with Aaron Paul years ago. Mm-hmm. That was also quite bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and that I was keep a- reading. Ar- <laughs> I keep reading articles, and they're like, "Finally, The Last of Us has paved the way for video game adaptations." And I'm like, "Fucking stop!" <laughs> yeah, they no, to- just because they did it right once, <laughs> yeah, broken mean clock every- <laughs> right once a day, you know? Exactly. <laughs> oh like- my god, I'm gonna blow my brains out they are trying it with a lot of properties though they are and i have to they are doing a dead space because they've run out of of comic books they have to do video games now there's like i said there's some that will work but god there's a lot that just they're not designed that way isn't it amazing how few creative people work in the arts (laughs) there's so few of them you would think they would all be there there's like 15 creative people in the arts. You'd think all the creative people would be working in the arts. No, you know where half the creative people work? Hmm. They're like accountants and shit. Yeah, Wall Street. Yeah. Right. But like, how do we cheat the tax code in a way no one's thought of before? <laughs> no. It's crazy. <laughs> we have, we've already peaked with video game adaptations, guys, because we have the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, which are amazing films. Really. What, what's the deal with Sonic 3? <sighs> oh, God, I don't know. I know Jim Carrey's not coming back for this next one, which is unfortunate. It's really sad. What else does he have going on? I don't know. He's a busy guy. He's a he's a busy guy painting and shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a big painter. You know, he's, he's a, a big like political painter. He, he what the I hell th- does that mean? I think he fancies himself <laughs> kind of a uh, you know a, a a satirist in in the in the style of like Mark Twain or something. Oh, you but, know, he's but, a big but with painting. 
But yeah, with painting. Oh, I see. And I am struggling to think of the name of a political cartoonist. Uh, uh, at least one that's not like a far right Nazi or I mean, whatever. I guess like Warhol was sort of political at times. No, I think he fancies himself more like. Um, oh, geez, I'm so uncultured. <laughs> Insert name of whatever New Yorker doodler. <laughs> I guess. No, but he like he'll like paint pictures of Trump or whatever with like a lot of warts on his face. That's like oh. that's like Jim Carrey's thing. Oh. He just he makes Republicans look ugly. Oh, I see. I think that's his whole kind of shtick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is he like a Robert Crumb, perhaps? There you go. <laughs> oh, what a connection. <laughs> Jim Carrey, the new Robert Crumb. By the way, I sent you guys a video this week. Apparently Jordan Peterson's favorite documentary of all time is Crumb. <laughs> And I yeah. just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information except for <laughs> try to erase to crumb <laughs> from my memory. <laughs> crumb. I stumbled Tr- on a I stumbled can on a I, YouTube can video. Can I unwatch a film, please? <laughs> I stumbled on a YouTube video that was like uh they put Jordan Peterson next to the Criterion logo to make it look like it was like a Criterion special features. And he's talking about like the Oedipal nature of of crumb or whatever and it was uh it was quite amusing oh boy speaking of documentaries adam and i on the movie hall of fame this week are going to do the films of d.a penny baker subscribe to that podcast if you are so inclined if you'd like a more cinephilic kind of movie show more in-depth uh you know just nerdy convo that's what we do over there yeah um, yeah, Dia Penny Baker, I think, my favorite documentarian of all time, if I had to pick one. That's cool. Gun to my head. So we're going to talk about that. And that's it. We love you, right? I think we do. Cool. <laughs> I like you. I'm in like with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to say I'm in love with the, the listeners. It's a bit of a commitment, Nico. Yeah, we've been in, at it for a long time, though. Like, I feel like if we didn't say I love you to them at this point, they would start looking around for other potential podcasts. I think I just I think I just want them to say they love me first, you know? Ah. ah. Not comfortable with this commitment until they say it first. Well, it's scary. It's always scary. It is. It's scary. always scary. It That's true. Tough, yeah. Love is tough, guys. You know? Yeah. Love is never having to say you're sorry. If you guys love us, let us know on Apple Podcasts. Leave us yeah. a five-star review. There uh, you go. I by, by the way, I was just talking to uh first lady of the podcast, Jackie. Um <laughs> Capanegro, <laughs> and she was looking at our reviews on iTunes, and she noticed that one person had given us a very reasoned and well thought out two star review, and I thought that was just delightful. Mm-hmm. That a person really thought about it and said, "You know what? It's not a one star. Like I don't hate them, but I just think you know there's a lot to improve upon." That's nice of them. Yeah, I respect anybody who gives a rating that isn't one or five on anything. Yes. Mm, I respect exactly. the hell out of you. Right. Two stars. So interesting, though. Yes. Oh, my God. That is. It's th- almost more insulting than a one. It is. Because it's like you really thought it out and you think we're below average. You roll your eyes at the one. You're like, yeah, OK. Yeah. Whereas the two is like, wait, they, they're serious. <laughs> they're actually serious. What wait, you do? think we have merits, but overall we're kind of weak well, to talk to us. We want to improve. <laughs> Also, it was probably, what, like six years ago when they left yeah, that? Yeah, probably. probably. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, yeah, refresh the old iTunes uh, thing. We, we swear we've gotten better. I should I should say, though, like in all seriousness, we don't ever ask people to leave us a review. We probably should every single week. Yeah. It yes. is a make or break 
in the podcasting world, genuinely. Yes. So if you've been listening for like a year and you've never interacted with us, like give us a quick little shout. Just clicked. I don't even need you to write. Just Mm. click. Go on Spotify. Give us the old thumbs up or whatever. I don't know what they have on Spotify, but um, yeah. Do us a solid. It does help. It does help. It really does. It does. Give us the old subscribe on YouTube as well. That'd be great. Mm. Nice. That's it. No more plugs. We're really bad at plugging. Yes, we are. (laughs) Well, some kinds. I need this pod to to support my children. (laughs) If you don't give us likes, my children will starve. (laughs) We love you. And we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye.